0: I'm going to open up with a bit of a confession this morning. I am a wannabe, uh, and I've always been a wannabe. I was a wannabe, the best football player the world has ever seen. I was a wannabe ba- baseball player, basketball player, just about every sport I could play in middle school and high school and then a wannabe golfer in later high school and college. I became a wannabe great photographer and backpacker all through the Sierras, an artist, musician, songwriter, and savior of my mom and dad's marriage. I became a wannabe great husband and father. And then to add to this, I was a wannabe person, accepted, liked, one longing to belong to belong, with peace, purpose, significance, but I always felt a great sense of falling short of all I wanted to be. Seemed I could never really be satisfied with who I was and being the person I wanted to be always seemed a little bit out of reach, elusive, couldn't get there. Then I became a follower of Christ and I became a wannabe great preacher, pastor, evangelist, a wannabe influencer of others for Christ. Wanting to impact people for Christ is a great thing, and I will always be, I want to be better at that by His grace. I want to grow in Christ, and if you are a Christian here today, you want that too. In all of this, I've come to learn something refreshingly liberating. I am a wannabe, but I don't have to be. I don't have to reach any of those things I want to be, to have enough. To be accepted, to be loved, to belong, to be His, and for Him to be mine. He is enough. That is so important. He is enough Why is this so important to me? I always wanted to have the admiration of my dad. And when I was 15, he left the family, left my mom, uh, left us, and I was deeply crushed. And so often, when that happens in a family, the children take personal blame. And I did. I felt like if there was something, if I was a different kind of a son, if I was better, maybe something I could have done to prevent this, and somehow there was something wrong with me. And I can look back now and I know there was nothing, it had nothing to do with me. It had all to do with my mom and dad, they just couldn't get along. But at 15, I couldn't sort that out. I longed to feel that my life had value but I really bought the idea that something was wrong with me, that I had done something wrong and I was ashamed. I have spent much of my life attempting to accomplish things in order to gain the admiration of my dad and even after he died accomplishing things to nullify this deep ache and this belief that I was inferior and that something was wrong with me. And When Jesus came into my life, when the story I would heard all my life moved from my head to my heart, it rocked my world with a sense that I was really loved, that He valued me, that I was actually precious in His eyes. And I remember reading 1 Peter and I felt like God was talking to me when he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it was like God, my heavenly Father, was saying the words I longed all my life to hear from my earthly Father You are special to me. You are my special possession. You belong to me. I love you and I will never leave you. That was and is a liberating thing for me. He loves me, he, I am forgiven. He wants me. I'm wanted. He invites me to come to him. He is my father. I've been adopted into his family. He died and rose that we might be adopted into his family. Sons and daughters, children of God. John said, for as many as receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to be Children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And if you are born of God here today, you are among those who can say we are recipients of that which the world is
1: starving
0: The cry of our culture is, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try and I try. And no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, what I try to be, no matter what, because there is no satisfaction. It doesn't exist outside of a born again relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where life begins. And he is enough. He is all we need. Yet he gives us something more than himself. He gives us something to do. He calls us to be his ambassadors, his representatives. And he gives us the privilege of handling the most important message that there is in all of existence. The message of the gospel of the resurrection. There's no message like it. No comparisons. Speaking with a woman in our COC parking lot one late afternoon and got on the subject of different religions and I told her that though I respect other faiths and people's right to believe whatever they want to believe, Gautama Buddha, the first Buddha died, is in a grave body decaying. Abraham, the founding father of the Jewish nation, died, is in a grave, body decaying. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, died, is in a grave, body decaying. Jesus Christ died, body not in a grave, body not decaying. He came alive, he is alive, She said, you can't say those things about the Jews or the Muslims. You can't speak that way. It's just not right. And I said, I'm sorry if it offends you. It may not be right in some people's eyes, but it's true. Let's be able to talk facts. We have the most important, the only, singular, solitary, unrivaled, exclusive life-giving message that there is the message of the resurrection i am a wannabe more effective ambassador for christ and if you are his here today you're a wannabe too with his help we want to grow more effective in helping people see jesus amen amen if you if we are born again then you, we, are part of the church. We are the church. People who merely go to church are missing out. It may sound at first heretical, but I have told people from time to time, stop going to church and instead be the church. Church is not something you go to, it's who you are. You either are a part or you are not. And if you are, you are designed to function as a working part of the whole. One church, one body, many parts. We're all different. Great question to ask ourselves is, what part am I? What is your role? What function am I designed to be doing? Paul in Corinthians uses the human body as a metaphor to describe the church. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so, The body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has placed the parts in, his, in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There's one body but many different parts. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of the body with a particular function designed to be engaged, to be in action, serving His hands, His feet, His ears extended in service to others. We are called to serve and yet so few do. A very small percentage of professing Christians in the body, the church, are active and engaged, serving. Someone has described the church like a football game being played in a stadium where there are 22 players on the field in desperate need of rest and 22,000 in the stands in desperate need of exercise. There are the participants in the game on the field engaged and there are the spectators in the sidelines in the stands not engaged A couple months ago Larry asked those of us in the service to stand if you're serving and I looked around to try to determine how many what percentage stood and could say uh, there were I could say there were no more than two out of ten standing. That's 20%. Pretty normal in most churches. 20% of the congregation are doing 80% of the work. It's called the 20-80 rule. You guys ever heard of the 20-80 rule? I don't dare presume I know why there were so many people not standing. I would venture to say that of the 80%, some uh, were not Christian and they're seekers and here to explore not yet part of the church and we celebrate their being here and if that's you today thank you for being here and please please ask the questions Uh, dialogue let's talk grateful that you're here I would venture to say that some are serving somewhere else in other fashions And some are so busy making ends meet, they may be consumed with life in a season, inundated with challenges of all sorts, and then varied other reasons. But after talking with many people over the years about serving and getting to know a lot of people and getting to know some of their priorities, I believe there are many who could be engaged but are not. I believe there are hundreds who are truly missing out and are not experiencing the joy that comes when we surrender our hearts to Him and His hands extended to serve others. Paul wrote, Peter wrote, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The Christian life was never intended, never designed to be lived out as a spectator. It is the spectators, those who desperately need the exercise, who often wonder why they have no fire and no passion for Christ. It is the spectators who often see church as a place to check in to, and Christianity as no more than a label I've heard people say I've heard this actually uh, being Christian is, is boring and, and going to church is just it's get, getting old question Ask, are you merely going to church and warming a pew or are you discovering your role as a part of the church And are you engaged in the battle as a participant? Joseph Stowell, in his book Following Christ, wrote, If Christianity is dull and boring, if it is a burden and not a blessing, then most likely we're involved in a project, not a person. A system, not a savior. Rules rather than a relationship. And I would add that most likely we are more of a spectator than a participant. We are likely not engaged in the action, not involved in the battle. Life is not boring in the game. On the field, in the battle, I was reading about a U.S. Army officer who described the contrast, contrast, in his military students during two different eras of teaching at the Artillery Training School at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. In 1958 to 1960, the attitude was so lax that the instructors had a problem getting the men to stay awake to hear the lectures. But during the 1965-67 classes, the men hearing the same basic lectures were alert and took copious notes what made the difference in the class of 65 they knew that in less than six weeks they would be facing the enemy in Vietnam it was real it was about life and death and in a very real sense in a spiritual sense we are in a battle Paul says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Battle is a spiritual one. And if you are in the battle, you know it. If you are in the battle and reaching out to helping, helping hurt people, even when we're hurting ourselves sometimes in our pain when we reach out to someone else who's in pain it helps us and it helps them if you are in the fight for the souls of others then you know you are constantly reminded and you're aware of your need to cry out to Him, to depend on Him, to find strength and wisdom in Him. And I might add, you know your life is not boring. We might grow weary, sometimes feel overwhelmed and desperate for His help, but never bored. Something exciting happens in us when we surrender our lives to him to serve him and to begin to serve others as his hands extended question to ask myself am i experiencing the joy of a relationship with christ that is engaging and in service for him on the field in the game in the battle not a spectator but a participant Pastor Larry has said more than once, God is calling every single one of us to be engaged in the ministry. I've heard people say, though, I feel so insecure. I feel so inadequate to serve. I don't feel that God could use me. I am weak. And I don't believe that I have anything to offer. It is quite interesting that the scriptures seem to indicate one of the major qualifications for being useful in his hands is a distinct sense of feeling unuseful, unqualified, inadequate, and unable. There's a principle here and it is encouraging. Prophet Jeremiah, in response to the call of God on his life, said, Oh, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. And God said, Do not be afraid. I'm with you. Gideon, after being called by God, said, But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord said, I will be with you. Moses, 40 years in the desert as a fugitive, and God speaks to him through a burning bush and says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses cries out, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Oh Lord, please send someone else. You ever said that? He gives all the reasons why he can't, why he isn't qualified, isn't useful. And he says, sin, someone else. Someone else can do it, but I can't. And The Lord says, I will be with you. It's like when Moses reached a place where he felt most unable and weak, he was right where God wanted him to be. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, said, It seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when at last he found me, he said, He is weak enough. He will do. Warren Wearsby has said, You can never be too small for God to use only too big. Jesus said to Paul, and I believe he's saying it to every one of us, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast, Paul said, all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then there is the story of Peter and the disciples in a boat with Jesus, where Peter is is shaken to his core with the realization of his own sinfulness and he feels unworthy even to be in the presence of Jesus, let alone feel useful for service. And it's in that very moment of personal revelation in Peter's life that Jesus commissions him. Let's look at Luke 5. Early in the ministry of Jesus, He's gathering his disciples, choosing his disciples, and they are becoming acquainted with him. And it says one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. These are salty, experienced, professional fishermen. They've worked hard all night and they haven't caught anything. And this man, Jesus, they're just getting acquainted with him. They're just getting to know him. Comes along and tells them to go back out and let down the nets. And seemingly, perhaps, in an air of appeasement, Peter says, Because you say so, okay. I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee Simon's partners. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away. Whatever amazing things Peter saw in Jesus before this event. Culminates with what he sees here, and it appears as though Peter is overwhelmed with a sense that he is in the presence of holiness and that he isn't worthy to be there. Go away from me. You know, next to one another, we don't look so bad. We might even consider ourselves to be pretty good when we compare ourselves to some people. But next to pure holiness. Can you imagine? Next to pure holiness. We will see ourselves as we really are and know we are dirty, filthy, sinful Isaiah said our righteousness, our righteousness is as filthy rags in his eyes. Our righteousness, the best that we can do is filthy in his eyes and we need forgiveness. The writer of Proverbs speaks of those who are pure in their own eyes and remain uncleansed of their filth long as we live under the delusion that we are not that bad and really don't need to come to him acknowledging our utter sinfulness, then we will remain uncleansed of our filth and likely we will be among those that have no compulsion to be any more than a spectator and who are without the grateful fervor ...that comes when we know we have been recipients of His unmerited favor. We need to own our sin and come to Him and experience forgiveness. John said, if if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All. I love the song that was sung earlier the the stanza, Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Hallelujah! Is that good news? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Thank you, Jesus. If we confess our sins, He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Underline it. All. Circle it. All. Highlight it. If you have got font, you type and build the taunt. That the font enlarge it. All. All. All sin. Thank Him. Amen. He will make us clean and give us something to do. Peter says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away. A low point in Peter's life, perhaps not the lowest, but surely a place where Peter felt deeply unworthy, unuseful, dirty, acknowledging his personal sinfulness. And it's at that very point, Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Jesus commissions them all. Gives them something to do. As we surrender our hearts, trusting him, belief, trusting him to be our savior, which includes confessing and forsaking sin, he gives us forgiveness. We have a relationship with him, and he gives us something to do as ambassadors, calls us. Can you imagine what it would be like if we could see the 2080 rule obliterated? It could happen. Jesus says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. To send out more workers into his harvest. Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion on them. He called them a harvest needing attention, but said there was a problem. There are few workers, and there's a solution. Pray that God of the harvest will send out more workers. What would happen if instead of the 2080 rule? It was 30 70. 30% of the, the, the church is doing 70% of the work, or, or 40 60. 40% doing 60, or, or half and half, 50% or more engaged, moved by God to be engaged in the battle. Each doing what they are wired to do in accordance with God given gifts and experience. What would happen? What would it look like? We know there'd be more joy. We know there would be less bored Christians. We know there would be more lives changed for the glory of God. Kids having more individual attention and more likely to hear the gospel and have questions answered. More families reached with the gospel. What would our church here look like? What kind of impact would happen in our community here? Every ministry would be greatly impacted. And what a joy to the team already in the trenches. We could more effectively reach our community surrounding the COC and the Antioch campus. I want to move towards close with just a... share a little bit with you how we see on a small scale with just a few people serving how God is changing people's lives. One of the joys that we have at our community outreach center uh, is seeing people that we serve there moving along a discipleship pathway, moving along a growth track. It is exciting to see someone who might, might come in shut down and alone and alienated and uninterested in anything and disconnected from any community, and who begins to feel the love of Christ through his people, and something happens, and they feel welcomed and begin to feel like they belong, and, and maybe they've found a community. It is exciting. And from there to see people hear the message of Christ either one-on-one or from pulpit and they begin to believe it. And then some of them move from belief to behavior change. They begin to apply. They begin to change. That's exciting. To see people move from belonging to believing to behaving is exciting. But it even gets more exciting when all of that moves into blessing. Becoming a blessing. Serving other people. Giving back. Engaged in serving. I'm called to minister. When you see the lights go on that way, it is exciting. And we see this movement from belonging to believing to behaving to blessing. And we're praying that it will happen more and more and more. Maybe there are some here who can see themselves somewhere on this track. You belong, but maybe you you feel like you belong, you found a community, but you're not believing it. Or maybe you belong, you've come to believe, but it hasn't yet impacted your behavior. Or maybe you belong, you believe, it's impacting your behavior, behavior's changing, but you haven't yet experienced the joy of blessing the joy of pouring yourself into ministry. We praise God for those he has placed on our team at the COC and who are working in the trenches, fighting the battle for the lives of people. And if you get a chance, really want to encourage you to drop by the table today on your way out, meet some of those people. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Jesus told us to pray to the, to the Lord of the harvest that he may raise up more labors. Would you just, just for a moment, oh, take your bulletin, and, and there's an insert there. It looks like this. Could you hold it up so that I know that we're tracking here. You're actually really listening here. All right. Ah, oh, you hear that? This is a list of ministries at the Community Outreach Center. And for each one, I'm going to unpack each one of these, but there, there are needs. Every one of these, there are teams involved who need help, more help. Kitchen team, greeters, site safety, uh, resource and referral, open two days a week. We want to be open five days a week. A, a dynamic impact on, on the lives of people going on there. Worship leaders, community visitation, going out, children's ministry. Uh, just got a call last night from a guy who serves at our COC and does prison ministry as well. He's part of the prison ministry here. Who this week was at a jail ministering, sharing the gospel. And after he was done, one of the guys, the inmates, came up to him and said, you mentioned the COC. Is that the one down on 18th Street near Dairy Queen? Yeah. (sighs) And to hear this is just encouraging. One little snippet. Uh, He he said, I am so grateful for what you guys are doing there. Your vans are coming out and picking up my kid, my eight-year-old, every night. And my child is getting truth and solid material. My heart is warmed by it. He said, he used the word, I'm stoked, stoked that you guys are doing that. Praise God for that. You know, the impact on one little child who gets the word every single day poured into them. What kind of impact will that make as God uses that to change that little kid and their perspective and their worldview and they move on into their family and it trickles in. And and we see the impact happening. And we'd like to see more. We're praying for more. we got the bistro open four days a week and one morning we'd like to see it open six or seven days morning, noon and night. A lot of ministry going on. Uh, I can tell you that I speak for a whole lot of people our hearts ache over the lost and the bound that we see in our community and we are praying for God to release the captives to break the chains to open the Eyes and softened hearts to transform people's lives. Only God can do that. You know that. We have loved ones in our families that don't know him. And there's a blindness there. Only a divine spark can trigger interest and, and open somebody up to be wanting to, to begin to move down that pathway. We're praying. But he also uses people. He uses people. And if you desire to further explore serving at the CLC or really anywhere, today is CLC Sunday, so we're highlighting that. We've prepared a whole week of tours and dinners just for you. It's on the insert, on the bottom of the insert. Sign up at the table out front. If you have questions, ask the questions. And uh, the five nights, January 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 to accommodate hopefully to accommodate more people's schedules i know for some it's hard five to seven p.m and if that is hard but you still want to serve there are other hours to serve and please talk to me before we move into prayer i wanted to share uh, we want to share a story a testimony on video here and this is christy's story so let's uh let's listen let's watch
1: it's beautiful. It, what I feel here at COC is unbelievable. I mean, I feel when I walk through these doors, it's like the Holy Spirit's in here. My name is Christy, and um, I grew up in uh, LA and uh, raised in basically a Christian home and, you know, learned about the Lord. But as I got older, the Lord kind of slipped away from me, and um, I just was uh, not doing what what God would want from me. I moved to Sonoma from my job and um, met a man and married him. And we were having a pretty good life. And then um, a little bit afterwards, in 2003, my husband passed away, and the alcoholism really came out. I started drinking that night going to bed with a bottle, you know, and waking up with my bottle. Last final real bad thing is I was at my mom's and uh, told her I wouldn't drink while I was at the house and she left and went somewhere and I ended up drinking and that became a really bad episode. Uh, My mom came home and found me barely alive on her bottom of her stairs. And they called the ambulance and by the time they got me in the ambulance, I guess, and at the end of the cul-de-sac, I, I died. And the doctor said, Chrissy, if you're trying to kill yourself, you're doing a good job. Because I was already there. You know, it was records that I was in and out. I would go for malnutrition, dehydration, all different problems. Um, and it wasn't good for my body. And it, it was basically killing me. And so I went went in. I tried. It took me a couple of months to really try um, to do it on my own and it wasn't working and I heard about Golden Hills having counseling and so I went to their counseling and uh, ended up having a really great counselor over there uh, really listening to me, helping me and stuff and she got me involved in CR. I really didn't want to do that at first but got me involved in CR. CR just really really helped me and I'm very thankful for the people there. they just loved on me and I could feel the love from God coming over me and I rededicated my life and started really working on things and uh, I was having some issues somebody who I talked to said go to COC you know with their resource referral maybe they can help you and they uh, told me about the food that they have dinners here and they do a little singing and stuff, and then they do a little sermon, and then then you can eat, you know, uh, Monday through Friday. And just from the moment I walked in the doors, I mean, even at resource referral, just loved on me, you know? And I felt like they really were listening to me. I I started feeling feeling God a lot here, and feeling the community and the people. There was all different walks of life here, all different, and different levels of, of, knowing God or being a Christian and eventually I I felt like I really wanted to give back I really wanted to serve to do God's work and stuff so I just started by serving uh, the dinners at night and just the people here they just really loved and appreciated you know just just to know that there is somebody out there you know that loves you and just to know that Christ is, is, is here, and we have a loving, caring Father, you know, who died on the cross and did so much, and forgives us, you know, He took our sins away and everything, and it's beautiful. It, what I feel here at COC is unbelievable, I mean I feel, when I walk through these doors it's like the Holy Spirit's in here, and just, I don't know, I went from Doing that, serving the dinners, to uh, working at the bistro. When you think about him dying on that cross and everything he went through, all the abuse and and the nails and people spitting on. Just he he died for us and and gave his love to us. So we don't we don't need to carry around all that guilt or shame or all we have to do is reach out to him and he's there. You know, you might meet somebody. You just need that one thing, you know. Just maybe sometimes takes somebody to show them, you know, that they are loved. And it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter where you are in life. I mean, I would hit rock bottom, and here I am, a little over a year, and I, I feel it. I feel His love, I feel everything, and it was thanks to all the people who just open their arms open their ears and listened to me and showed me know, that god is here and god
0: loves us amen 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 you have to clap over something like that and rejoice don't you it's great to see uh hear change lives many of you can relate to that in variety of ways god's changing you and He is he is good. He is good. I want to thank Josh, Felice, and who put that together, that video, and and got some help from Cameron. Good job. Just this last week, speaking with a woman in her 30s, in her 30s, in our bistro, who said with tears, I am so weary. I'm so tired. She said it over and over. A lot more she said and kept coming back. I'm just so tired. The drugs and the alcohol ravaging her life and I encourage her to hear. To listen. There's so many voices, so many lies that you're listening to. But listen to the voice of your Savior. Listen to Jesus who is saying Come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble at heart. You'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. That really is a call to all of us, isn't it? Because without exception, there's not one here that doesn't need to call out to Jesus for help and surrender and it may not be that you saying uh, Lord I'm weary I'm tired I just feel like giving up that may not be you but there are other issues there are other challenges that are more than we can handle if we're honest we need him and I just want to encourage you that uh, I'm going to pray but uh, as the, the, the group will come out to end our, ni- uh, our morning it's morning isn't it it feels like night already Uh, they're going to sing a song about surrender and it's an opportunity for all of us to not run out of here without surrendering whatever it is that's on your heart that you know you need to give it to to the Lord. Trust Him and give it up. We'll have the prayer room open after they're done and I, I do think they're coming out. Maybe they've abandon me here and and I'm not going to sing the song for you no that would ruin the day uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and while I'm praying I'm gonna believe that they're gonna hear me praying and come out right (laughs) you watch the doors Lord you know every single one of us you know our hearts you know what it is that we are dealing with you know the challenges that we've faced in our families in our work uh, Lord in our own selves Lord for, for some it may be addiction it may be ravaging something that's got control and Lord just pray that it be the spirit of surrender here that would allow those folks to just give it to you and, and, and get accountable maybe celebrate recovery uh, a, a, an accountability group uh, Lord, whatever it is—relationships in a family where uh, you put it on my heart to go and make it right—and I don't want to. And so, Lord, give us courage to do what you want us to do. And we pray that God is, as, as, uh, as we sing this song, that uh, our hearts would fr- be enabled to surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.